My name is Owen Flynn and welcome to episode 61 of the Trail Running Ireland podcast. Hey everybody, think of your dream year as a runner, as a runner who likes the mountains and who likes the roads. Think of a year when you've got your first senior Irish cap. You're the fastest Irish master in the mountain running world masters championships. A year when you win half a dozen road and mountain races and top it off with a superb PB in a world marathon major and win gold for Ireland in cross country. Well, that's the year that John Kinsella has had, and John is here to tell us all about it. And Rennie Borg is back with his coaching slot this week, and we're going to talk to Rennie about how to handle and how to adapt to training stress. Everybody, get your running gear on. Let's go. Hey guys, hope you're all well and looking forward to the Christmas period coming up with hopefully some Christmas races and running events to look forward to. And speaking of races, it looked epic up at the Powers Court Ridge 16k run last week where there was a tremendous battle up front where Killian Mooney took the win in one hour and 18 minutes over a good quality field with Matthew McConnell in second place and then the cloak who we had on the show a few episodes back in third place. And in the ladies race, Saoirse Lachnan took the win in 1 hour 39 with Sarah Brady in 2nd in 1 hour 42 and Catherine Barr 3rd in 1 hour 46 and just after the Paris Courts Ridge race was the Imra AGM where the new committee got voted in and good luck to Miriam Maher as the new Imra president and all the committee team in their new roles over the next 12 months one lively discussion that took place at the AGM and the always informative and helpful Imra forum page on the Imra website was the importance of volunteers at the Imra races races over the course of the year and how hard it can be, like in all aspects of life, I think at the moment, for people to donate their time. So if you can at all, spare a morning, spare a half day to help out at any of the great Imra races over the course of the year, please do get in contact with the race directors at Imra and imra.ie is a good place to start to get race details, race calendars, race director contact details, etc as without the help of volunteers the Imra calendar which is so rich in its racing options would be very very hard to maintain indeed last week also saw the Athletics Ireland annual award ceremony and congratulations to the Athletics Ireland mountain runner of the year Zach Hanna who finished off a stellar year with that standout performance of fifth at the world mountain and trail running championships in Chiang Mai in Thailand on November 4th where Zach finished ahead of many many world class athletes including previous world champions so such a tremendous year for Zach and a great way to finish it off before we call in Rene guys for our coaching slot thank you to Laura O'Driscoll and Katrina Hickey for becoming Patreon since our last show and if I'm not mistaken I think that's the same Laura from our episode 13 where we spoke to Laura about some of her wonderful wins and performances over the last few years on the roads and the mountains and Laura of course is a superb adventure racer as well and Laura does some great work with her live zoom yoga classes so if anybody is looking for something different than the mountains over the over the month of December to help stay in shape and to stay happy 
well worth checking out Laura's yoga classes online. And um, thank you, of course, as well to all of our patrons who have supported the show all year round. And if you hadn't had a chance yet, guys, if you do have a minute, do please pop over to Patreon Trail Running Ireland podcast. And for between three euros and six euros a month, you can help keep the show going, where we do our very best to promote trail and mountain running in Ireland, and as much as possible, bring you the stories of the great Irish mountain runners and other members of the trail and running community to you to help grow this fantastic sport right so time for some coaching tips and let's call in our coaching guru Rene Borg from Running Coach Ireland Rene I missed you in the last episode good to have you back and I must admit it's nice to talk to an adult about running or anything really besides uh, babies and nappies and school runs because it's been a busy two weeks Rene so good to have you back on board yeah, well, congratulations to you, Owen. I actually have talked to you before this call, so I've obviously congratulated you before. But uh, yeah, new new arrival in the Flynn family. And I saw that it nearly carried you to victory recently in one of those 5Ks down on Grand Canaria. Yes, I, I was hoping to, you know, to win it for the new member of the family so we'd all have a nice memory. But we had a nice memory regardless, Rene. But the, the competitor in me did go home fairly pissed off <laughs> that I got beaten in that final sprint. There's a, there's a video, I think, up on Facebook that people can see if they want to see the final sprint here in, in sunny Las Palmas in November which is always nice to run in and um, but no it was just lovely to get out Rene and you know you know it, it's a tricky one isn't it when when a new little baby comes along or when any big kind of life event happens that you you, you try to continue your running because you know you, you need it it helps you get through the rest of the day but often you know your partner doesn't understand that and it can cause a little bit of conflict and I've certainly noticed it myself over the last 10 days that you know Jenny is full on looking after the baby she's breastfeeding so there's a lot going on there I try and escape every morning still from my hour and I, I can see Jenny going oh you know why is this fella going off for an hour for his run every day so I, I think it, it might be a little you know way to introduce our topic for today in terms of tr- training stress that's a slightly different type of stress I'm talking about there but there is a thing called training stress really isn't there and it's very important that as athletes we're aware of it and that we adapt to it as well as the months go by because depending on how we adapt to our training stress can result in whether we need to change our plan at the end of it or not and we really can't be planning too much ahead because who knows how we're going to adapt to that training stress yes because one of the things you mentioned there is that there are certain filters in you could say the human system that actually dictate what happens and that's jumping a little bit ahead but the word stress is a very interesting one because it's there's whole books written about it, obviously. What it, what is it? And there's new theories about it, and there's old theories about it. Um, but the the basic problem with training is that the if you do a certain type of training, the outcomes are not predictable. So uh, the best example I can give people listening to that is that in some studies that you can look at, where you know multiple different people are being given the same training, so that means the, the same type of training stressor. The study, if you go in the conclusion, it might say, oh, there was a 54% improvement on average or as the mean. But if you then go look at the data, you can see that actually the improvement ranged from zero, even negative in some cases, to 250% better. 
So there's kind of a bell curve. And this is actually how everything in the world that's organic and biological works. That means that when something happens, the most of the time people cluster around um, a central value, but there are extreme ranges at either side. And that that is what frustrates a lot of people when they implement training and especially when they take training that on paper looks exactly right. You know, and they do it, and most other people they know they get better, but they don't. They get they, maybe they get worse, or maybe they don't get as much better as other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could be a mystery if you look at stress in a very traditional way. Um, and the very traditional way of looking at it is kind of um, to exp- there, there was basically a Hungarian guy who we know him as Hans Selye. His real name was pronounced a little bit differently, and he developed a stress theory by basically poisoning rodents. Okay, so he was poisoning these rats and other rodents and he was studying, he dissected them all and he he was looking at their organs to see what goes on there. And he developed what was called the, the GAS gas theory and it stood for general adaptation syndrome. And all that was was said that some kind of stress, so that could be training, but in this case, it was actually a poison, causes a state of alarm in the body. And that's what we know as the fight or flight response. That fight or flight response leads to a temporary reduction in your ability to function. You know, that could be soreness or fatigue for training. You know, for if, if it was actually, you know, if someone punches you in the head, it's much more obvious what the yeah. reduction in capacity would be. And then after that, there's what they call a state of resistance. That's what we know as the training adaptation. And that's where the body becomes stronger. So that was traditionally how stress was understood, that that's exactly what it's like. Um, and that means that, that all you need to worry about is that you don't train too early after the f- stressor, because then obviously you're in that reduced function. So if you train at reduced function, you could be making yourself even worse or too late. So by the time the positive effects have already started to wear off, so that means you're not training in the stronger state. You've already gone back to where you were before. So that would be classically the mistakes of, you know, too many hard sessions too close together or doing a run on Tuesday. And then because life happens, your next run is not until Sunday, you know, so you have four days off. And yeah. as, a, as a general rule, Owen, it, it, that kind of holds, but unfortunately, that's not quite how stress actually works. And that's where a lot of the confusion comes in. Okay. And just before you go on to maybe explain that one, Rene, just I think there's a very interesting, I think, awareness that, that we mightn't talk about that. If somebody does a hard session, say on a Tuesday, and their body is in that state of alarm, as you mentioned, that fight or, or flight mode, but then they come home. And they get a whole load of stress thrown at them from whatever family commitments are there, work commitments are there. So instead of their body going into that state of resistance, I think you mentioned, where we recover and we adapt and we get stronger. We have to be very aware in life sometimes that when we do our hard training, that we need to have a couple of hours, probably at least after that hard session, where our body begins to come down and gets out of that stress, stressful state. Because if we do a hard session and then we come home to a stressful house environment, or then we go into a stressful office environment, our stressful training session, <laughs> instead of just being an hour long, our body is in a state of stress for maybe five or six hours. And that just wears you down, doesn't it? So I think we do need to be aware that if we're doing a hard training session, and we're in that state of stress that we need to try somehow 
to make sure that we come into a nice relaxing environment after that. And I've seen it a couple of times with some of the athletes that I'm coaching many that if they're just in that constant state of a hard training session, very busy with work and life, very quickly their performance levels dip. Yeah, although I said that this isn't quite how stress works, they there is a some of some of it applies. And there, there was a good study done on Navy SEALs where they showed that the Navy SEAL um candidates that were able to bring themselves out of fight or flight into rest and digest the quickest, and they could measure this. And mm. they had better adaptations and they generally were more likely to make it through hell week, you know, this thing that they yeah. have. And and that is how do you do that? Well, we've actually covered a lot of it over the, the 50 odd episodes. You know, there are many, many hacks, but the key is that you take yourself out of that state of alarm. So you need to find ways where you change your brain's perception of, um, what would you say, of, of, of there being an emergency. You, you, need to, yeah. you need to bring the brain back and say, actually, now things are good. You know, it could be sit in front of the, with a match and a, and a beer in your hand. You know, this is for the hobby athletes, not the elites. You know, for the elites, yeah. it could be doing a nice meditation or a, a nice hot bath or a, a relaxing yoga session, something like that, a breathing session. There are many having a, lot, a great meal uh, where you have time, you know, to just sit and enjoy the food. You're not already thinking about the 20 things you need to do with the kids after. Yeah. So yeah. Lot, but but that actually brings us on to the key, which is the mind. But uh, I think you wanted to jump in there before we head on to Yeah, that. no, and I was just going to say, just as we're talking about it, Renny, and we mentioned at the top of the conversation that this is one of the reasons why saying Running Coach Ireland, that we were very reluctant to give people three-month, four-month, five-month, even six-month plans, where you say, there's your three-month plan or there's your six-month plan, and off you go and do it. Because there's these constant stressors that come at us at a weekly, daily basis, we need to be able to adapt our three-month plan and our six-month plan because who knows what way the body's going to react. Yeah, and we don't. <laughs> that, so that, that is the answer, you know, and that's what kind of the reason we wanted to discuss this is I read this article um, and we'll give them a little plug. It was a, a strength training outfit from Australia called Athletes Authority. And they wrote kind of an interesting article saying, are you a, are you a Marxist strength coach? And the whole idea there is that traditionally, a lot of coaches and athletes across all fields, they have very much planned training the same way that we used to plan industry. So this is what used to be called Taylorism, which was for those who, who work in, in various types of project management, they'll, they'll recognize this. It was a scientific management tool for factories. And that was what inspired the way that uh, Soviet societies were run in Russia and China and places like that. You know, so this kind of idea that no matter how complex a system is, a few or one person sitting centrally can plan exactly how everything's going to pan out. Mm -hmm. and, and, it, and it's not a coincidence then that most of the people who wrote about periodization for sport in the 50s, 60s, 70s, they were actually Russians. You know, and there were people like Chuda Bompa, Vladimir Isurin, and and other names that the coaches listening will recognize. But the downfall with that is that, in fact, you cannot predict with certainty really how people react. Uh, there was some success in Russia with this system, partly because of drugs, as we know now, and partly because they had access simply to thousands of athletes that they could just crunch through this process. And those that made it, they made it real big, but they didn't need to worry about the fact that it was basically an eggs to the wall. You just kept throwing them and some of them would stick. Mm -hmm. You know, and that, so that's, if, if for anyone who said, what well, waits, the Soviet Union was clearly successful. It was, it was basically drugs and manpower. 
you know, running through this relentless grinder of top-down planning that they had. Um, but it doesn't work as we know. Um, so the way we approach it is, is we call it reactive planning own, which is something we took from a, a Canadian outfit called Peak Center that I used to work a little bit with many, many, many years ago. And um, that is just this idea that we look at where the athlete is now. We try and understand their life situation. And then we figure out what do we want to, what's the immediate priority. And then we create what in, in the article, they call a minimal viable program. So that's something they've stolen from uh, the concept of a minimal viable product. That's a type of prototyping that companies do, you know, where you, you don't want to, to build, let's say, a super expensive piece of software and have it completely finished. And then you find out that actually you made a mistake at the very beginning. And then you have to, you've just wasted 2 million. Now you need to go all the way back to the start. It's the same with training. You don't want to basically have missed developing something properly in the first six weeks, but you only see the effect of that two weeks before your race. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, it's too late to go back and, and fix it. Yeah. And I suppose as well, it's important to remember too, isn't it, that it's okay not to follow the textbooks. And that might say, if you're preparing for a trail ultra, or if you're preparing for a marathon, you need to do a minimum, say, 16 weeks base work to develop our aerobic engine that we've spoken about on the show many a time. That it's actually okay, maybe, to throw in a Leinster League uh, race on a Wednesday night or a local 5K around Christmas time, as you're in the middle, maybe, of your of your build up towards the spring and summer races. That we need to have a little bit of fun as well, and that we don't need to follow the the old Russian um, training systems of just nonstop mileage, 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 and hard work. Yeah, because as I hinted to there, the, the real stress theory. In is today as it's understood places the mind so that's your perception really of everything that happens to you at the center of the model um, and it's called it's there's a fancy word for it called allostasis which means that your body seeks stability through variation and that your mind always tries to anticipate what do you need uh, in terms of what your body needs to be ready for and then it tries to prepare to meet those needs, right? So that's the opposite of how we traditionally looked at it, which is what people might know as homeostasis. That means that there is a certain steady state for everything in your body and your, your body is always trying to do everything it can to get there. So if it's pulled out of, let's say, a certain range uh, of blood values, your body will fight hard to try and get back to, to the center. So what, what does that mean for training? Well, there's this Irish guy, John Kiley, who has written a lot about it and he basically found out that there's a lot of psychological and emotional factors that if you analyze them, you can see they actually dictate largely how much you get out of the training that you put in. So he calls this a filter. So for instance, it's things such as he, if people are training with others, uh, that seems to improve the results. Um, if people have positive emotions um, while they're working, so they're highly motivated or they feel a sense of excitement or joy or connection, um, you know, and not the opposite, of course, which could be anxiety, boredom, drudgery, all these sorts of things, uh, the, the feeling of pressure, um, the feeling of maybe having to guilt, you know, because you are out on the road where you feel maybe I should be at home doing something for my family. 
Um, and then, of course, more kind of straightforward things such as, uh, you know, you, if, if your nutrition is not right, um, if you actually don't have some of the basics uh, of life, if you can't get proper sleep at night, you know, all of these things, you can add them to the filter as well. But at the end of the day, it's the mind that, in a way, based on your training, so the stress that you take your body through through training, it's it's how you perceive that training that actually then makes the mind say, okay, based on what just happened, what do I need to build so that I'm ready for more of this? And it's not just training, it's your entire life. So that's why, for instance, sitting all day, you could say is probably not great for runners because if the mind says, yeah, this guy sits down in a in, in this position, hips flexed, low blood pressure, everything for eight hours a day, what do I need to build so that he becomes really good at doing that. That's probably not what you need for what, as a runner, you want to do, right? Being, especially say if you're an ultra runner and you want to be on your feet for 12, 24 hours. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe to, to begin to close off the conversation, Rene, what are the physical indicators that people should look out for? And um, to help them understand if they're adapting to the straining stress in a positive way. And um, I know two things that I always look at, and we've, we've mentioned these a couple of times before on the show. I always look at my resting heart rate. I know you've been looking at HRV, I think, for a while as well. I always just check in with my resting heart rate every morning just to make sure that everything is okay. It's where it should be. And then also what I've begun, I've begun to try and become more aware of after some of the conversations that we've had is mood as well. That if you if you tend to be in good form, in good humor, that can be actually very simple, but a very effective way of, of measuring if you're handling the training load, the training stress and um, well, that you're not fatigued, that you're not grumpy. And um, I don't know if there's anything else that you'd want to throw into the mix there. Well, they they are the basics, really, because they they in the new th- theory of stress is what's called allostatic load. So that means that the body is overcommitting resources to try and handle um, the threats that it feels are coming up. So that means if you are putting yourself in a situation through training and other stresses where the body feels it needs to really ramp up everything constantly to try and meet the the say the threats of tomorrow. The way that that manifests physically is, as you say, with uh, it can be poor mood, poor sleep, uh, lack of um, sexual interest, honestly. And uh, what are the other things? Muscle soreness is a classic one. It, In terms of markers, yes, a low uh, HRV in most cases, uh, a increased resting heart rate, um, but also in any number of diseases. Okay, there's, there's any number of illnesses and small problems that could be a sign that, you know, if you're having them, then you are, the, the body is is over consuming or, and is creating an excess of all these hormones. Because something people as well need to understand is that, you know, if you create lots of hormones to deal with certain situations, there are, there are glands that produce these, you know, such as the thyroid, et cetera. So if you have any kind of, um, dysfunction that where if you look it up on Dr. Google, you know, you can see, oh, this could be related to overactivity of this or that gland. That could be a sign that 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 gland is being asked to do too much for some reason. So for some reason, your brain is picking up um, on a certain thread in a way that it is asking that gland to overproduce this or that hormone. 
right? So it could be cortisol and so on, or adrenaline. Um, so it, it, it really is just general well-being. Um, and I think what that, the ask there for people is to become very, you need to get in really in tune with what is proper well-being. You know, maybe don't accept too low a bar there. Because I think yeah. that that can be easy, you know, that because maybe there are some people I have known in my life who've actually never, they've never been at the optimal, you know, because they have always had some kind of problem and that's sure. never, <laughs> never been addressed. But, you know, obviously you need to work with the baseline, you know, uh, but don't accept um, a poor quality of life as, oh, that's just what it should be like, you know, as it's just constant tiredness or constant craving for sugar, or, you know, low level grumpiness, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I think the, the most important thing maybe from today is the key message not to be too rigid with whatever training plan that you might have, that you need to be able to adapt um, to the training stressors that come along, how your body reacts as well, that just because you have X session in for Saturday morning, take into account all the things that you just mentioned there to make sure that your body is operating okay and that it's okay to, to move a session from Saturday to Sunday or it's okay to maybe have something in mind for four months out, but you might need to change. You might need to drop down in distance, maybe from 80K to 50K or all going well, don't be afraid to push up from maybe a 50K to an 80K either. Yes, but also modulate your perception, you know, that you need, how you perceive your workouts is likely how it the emotion it creates is going to largely dictate what comes out the other end so if you, mm-hmm. you so if if you have lots of negative emotions created by your training you're not going to get any better uh, you know so you you really need to to try and listen to is this making me happy um or am i satisfied and proud at least uh, of what i'm doing you know do i have belief do i have motivation you know, did so it, there's a huge psychological element to training that's often forgotten, you know, because we just look at, oh, does, does my average pace looks like it's gotten better over the last few weeks? Yeah. Um, but look at the other things as well. You know, I'm really enjoying this. Is uh, Do I come home? You know, even maybe you didn't enjoy every single step of your easy run, but do you come home then feeling really good about the fact that you did it and mentally refreshed? You know, in, in that case, you can see, well, that emotion is what's going to now go in. And it's going to drive the work that my mind will do in terms of, you know, reshaping the body. So that's really your main responsibility. It is mm-hmm. to create a training plan that creates, you know, at the end of the day, this positive emotional response. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, maybe um, as our friend Aaron Brown in last week's episode, when I said, hop into a cold shower and get your Wim Hof reading going as soon as you can after your training session as well. And then well, you've got the perfect training session done. Um, Renny, will we leave it at that? Was there anything else that you wanted to add it in? No, we could go on. So let's not open any more doors. We'll, we'll okay. close the, it here. The, there's plenty of football to help de-stress us for the afternoon. Renny, thanks a million. As you're looking forward to talking to you in about two weeks time. All right, Owen. Enjoy. Okay, bye-bye. For our feature interview this week, we talked to John Kinsella from Limerick. And I can't wait to hear John's story because just listen to this set of results for 2022. First senior Irish mountain running cap with the team in Gerladan. 
World Masters Running World Championships, Team Gold and Individual Silver and fastest Irish time of the day on the course in 46, 50, 46 minutes 59 seconds. Munster Marathon, first place at the Limerick Marathon in 2 hours 32 and fourth overall. Wins on the road in the Bilboa AC 10k and in Magaluf in the 10k there as well with a superb 10k time at 31.10. Chicago Marathon, first Irishman home there in 2 hours 26 and a massive PB in the top 100 out of 40,000 competitors. And to top off the year, gold in the men's over 40 team competition at the British and Irish Cross Country Masters in Dublin. What a year, what a runner. Let's dial John in. John, you're very welcome to the show. And John, I've been looking forward to talking to you all year, really, watching all these results coming in. So uh, it's it's a great it's great to talk to you and great to finally have you on Trail Running Ireland. You're very welcome, John. Thanks very much. It's a pleasure to be here. I've seen all the lads um been on in the past. I've been listening away to their podcast as well. It's been uh it's been a good listen. It's good to um, get on. I, I know, great to have you, John. And, and very few of the guys and the girls that have been on, certainly in the last year or two, have had such a spectacular, consistent 12 months as yourself. Um, it, it's been an incredible year. I mentioned just in the intro before we came on the results that you had. But maybe to start off, John, can we go right back? And even before, say, you got to your adult life and had the weight issues, what I wanted to ask was, was there any signs when you were small growing up, playing football, playing gar or whatever it was, you know, were, were you fast in school? Were you a good runner? Um, and obviously you have this incredible mental determination as well. So was there any clues when you were smaller that you might be capable of great things? I don't remember anything particular. Like I wasn't, I wasn't winning races in school or anything. I never ran like, but um, like I was always, I grew up, I grew up in the city, like Limerick City. I grew up in um, South Hill, crazy place, like you know, uh, totally different hill from what I'm running on now. But it was like a big concrete jungle, like so. I've been like we were out playing like opposite of what kids are doing now. We were out climbing things and jumping things and walking everywhere and just playing soccer all day like and I used to walk to school as a kid like maybe three or four kilometers out and back like every day my school bag on my back and then maybe six kilometers to the um to secondary school so they're all I suppose that's probably the foundation um that left me run the way I am now because um I I, I didn't see anything back then to, to indicate that it could be fast yeah, well, that's uh, even for back in the 80s, uh, a three or four mile walk to school with those big heavy school bags on your back. I think we can all remember those days. But even three or four miles is a good spin for, for a young kid or a young teenager. And and I suppose it wasn't a straightforward transition from being a, a, a teenager or like, like a lot of us who are maybe footballers or camogie players or basketballers who then kind of drifted into running. You, you, you got to this stage in your life, John, where you, you became overweight, 103 kilos, 17 stone is some of the figures that I saw you mention before. Um, maybe talk to us about how you got to that weight and then the moment where you said, oh, enough is enough. I just can't be at this weight anymore. Yeah, like soccer was my outlet growing up and um, I, I love playing soccer. I was always trying to play it like and I was okay like I played maybe in the Premier League in Limerick 
the local, we'll say, junior soccer league. And um, mm. I remember I got injured when I was probably about 25. I playing out outfield in a five-side match because I was a goalkeeper. And uh, I kind of, uh, I lost my position in the, the Premier team then. And then I just started kind of signing for teams in lower division stuff. Just taking it easy, really. And, um, and I suppose... Kind of got to my early 30s then and I had a few kind of niggly injuries and stuff and I couldn't really commit then to getting to a level that I wanted to commit. And then it was kind of that, like running with um, soccer was my outlet like and when you kind of come to a realisation then that you know, you're not going to actually do something good with this, you kind of just kind of you fall out of love with the sport like and you, you just stay away from it like and um, I had no other outlet to do anything. And um, I just like the way it just kind of piled on, didn't like, because I, I kind of just settled into a mindset that that was it now, like, as in I had a child um, on the way and I thought, this is my life now, it's kind of, I'm done, like, you know, I'm just going to be a dad and go to work and and that's it. And that that was my sport in life over, like, that's, that's the mindset I had at the time, like. And, yeah. and I say a lot of people, John, kind of fall into that trap if you like where yeah they kind of they get the steady job and the kids come along and you know they're just they, they think that oh that's it I'm finished now I'm 30 or just sit back for the next 30 years but but thankfully yeah I think with the help maybe was it of one of your colleagues in work who discovered was it the Great Limerick Run yeah. that uh, sparked a, a bit of an interest and uh, and that helped get you out of it yeah like like I said I used to play soccer and I used to meet the lads. We used to play cards every year. And um, we used to meet once a year. We never used to see each other. Like, because, you know, when you start working, you get older and you kind of drift away from people you grew up with as well. But we always used to meet every year to play cards. And I remember I went up one year and uh, they hadn't seen me for a while. And I, I probably put on about two stone, like, in uh, maybe a year, 15 months. And I got some uh, constructive criticism from the lads, you know, as lads do. Like, yeah. and, uh, I kind of, we were up playing cards all night and obviously having a few drinks. I, I just woke up the next morning then. I had a bit of a, a sore head, like, and I just said, you know what, I need to just do something, like, uh, with my life because, um, I was, you know, I, I wasn't happy in myself, you know, and um, because, like I said, I was always kind of involved with soccer. I always had that bit of um, outlet to, mm-hmm. you know, focus on and whether it was who we're playing next week and where you are in the league and stuff. But when that's gone then, it's very easy, like I said, it's very easy to find a trap and just kind of give up on yourself. And uh, that's what happened. And But I think I, I just woke up that morning and I just thought I need to change. Like before I was even running. So I just said, I'm going to lose weight. I start going to the gym to try to do a bit, a bit of um, weightlifting and stuff like that. And um, I, I lost about two stone pretty fast. Like I just kind of did a kind of a calorie deficit diet and I was eating just super healthy foods. Um, making milkshakes with water and broccoli and you know, all sorts of things with low calorie but high nutrition and uh, the weight just kind of fell off to a certain point and then my colleague in work who I used to go down and do a few weights with he he seen the sign for like seven weeks to go for the Great Limit Run so he asked me did I fancy doing that like and I said oh, I, I know I'm interested in running like I wasn't a fan of running and that's why I, I ended up being a goalkeeper so <laughs> We did the run and yeah, we ended up doing, I think, 9K for a finish. Uh, it took us about an hour and two minutes. Like I think it was like 10-minute miles or something anyway, but 
Yeah. When we finished, I was like, I, I was like, I feel good. I felt like I could keep going. Like, and I was thinking, if I did nine k, surely I can do ten k. And uh, I, I'm gonna start from there then. And uh, I just trained for the next uh, couple of weeks, uh, six and a half weeks to limit run. I went out and yeah. did it, and I did uh, ran sub forty. I think came twenty fifth or something out of two or three thousand people. Like, so I think after that, I just kind of realised then I have a, I could be, I could be good at this. Like, and um, it gave me kind of new focus, you know. Yeah, and is it a funny how like a lot of I think footballers that finish their football career and they become runners, a lot of them tend to be maybe you know centre midfield players or wingers or strikers who are running around the pitch all the time, and you know you might get a bit of a clue. Oh well, that guy has a bit of an engine on them, the typical box to box player. But it's funny how you said that you hated running. You were a goalkeeper. You didn't like running at all. No, but no. you know you're either just born with this you know VO2 max gift or whatever way you want to dress it up um and you, you thankfully you discovered that yeah that you had this talent for for running yeah i think i it, like i said i definitely when i look back now i definitely think my childhood uh, growing up had a lot to do with it um obviously genetics play a part like but um you know being active all the time when you're young it's it definitely helps you in the future if you decide to do something you know the way people always say athletics is a good Base um, to do to do any sport. I, I think that's definitely true because you kind of build up all this um, all these benefits that you get that you need to be a good runner in the future. Like and definitely what I was doing as a kid definitely helped towards that. Like and it's just like you know it's just about discovering it. Then I guess. Yeah, yeah, and hopefully anybody that's listening in that might have a friend or family in, in a similar situation that some of the diets are great but most of them aren't sustainable, that they might last for a couple of months, like they did with yourself. They work to a certain extent, but then what, what can often work very, very well long-term is, yeah, to, to become a runner, to become a jogger in whatever format it is, whether it's three days a week or six days a week, and that can provide a, a, a lifetime solution to, to lots of different health problems. Yeah, I, I think running out for me is kind of like a handbrake, so... If I choose to eat like bad food, I can eat what I want because I can just up my mileage and I can use running as like the, the handbrake of, you know, the balance of calorie in versus out. Like it's, that's mm-hmm. the good thing about running. You can actually, you don't have to feel guilty about eating something because you know that you can just do extra couple of miles here and there and um, you actually enjoy eating and you, you enjoy training then as well because it's, you know, it's a benefit like. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you, you start running, John, and, you know, you get quicker and quicker. You're progressing nicely. But then just maybe as you're about to take off and get to the maybe to the top end of the, of the club scene on a national level, in 2017, about, I think, two years after you start, you get a radial tear of the meniscus. And I'm sure that must have been heartbreaking and maybe even gave you a bit of a fright, a bit of a scare that, oh, shit, I'm, is that my running career over now? Um, was that, John, in the mountain race that we did together in the Masters World Mountain Championships or, or was it either side of that? It was before that, yeah. It was actually, it was down a race called the Paps. I actually ended up coming fourth in the same race. <laughs> it was a yeah. crazy race. But um, we, um, I remember the race started off and um, Des Kennedy was there and Des went out like, uh, he took off up the hill and you could only see maybe 10 feet ahead of you. And we got up to the mast before the marshal because you know we, we were we were going fast enough like we got up before the marshal anyway and um 
you know, I, I, I didn't listen to the, I think it was Ravi or someone who gave the instructions. And uh, that's another tip. Listen to the instructions and start the race. And the instructions were us to go right at the cairn. But um, the group I was at, we didn't really listen. So we went straight on and it, we kind of came off this rocky kind of, um, rocky kind of shaly side of the mountain. And I just, I remember just sliding down. And, you know, you tried to correct yourself. And I just went over and kind of sat down back on my heel then. And I, that's when I tore my meniscus, like, and um, I... I, I, I thought it was just, you know, um, like a muscle kind of tear. So I kept, I kept doing the race, like, and um, I remember getting back to maybe one clamor to go and everyone was lost. Like, um, I think the top two were gone on, but everyone else in the other positions, no one knew how to get back because it was, it was so hard to see. And then some guy figured it out. So I, st- I started racing then again like that. And uh, I ended up coming forward anyway, but I, I knew after that, um, something was wrong I was in pain and um, I was in pain for a while and after about two weeks then I got the x-ray and stuff like that and they told me it was um, radial uh, meniscus tear so I had to go up to Santry and get an operation like I had it scheduled in and uh, I, I could still run uphill um, after oh, wow. a couple of weeks without, pain, without pain yeah all right so I thought like I had this uh, I had this master's uh, event paid for in Austria so I thought, you know what, my my career now is over. Like, um, I'll just go over there and um, I'll just go over running because it's uphill and it's not going to be any problem for me. Um, I won't I won't run at my best, like whatever. But I, at least I go out on a high. Like that was my my mindset. Like, so I was going over there thinking, this is it now. I'll go over and enjoy it. Like, and uh, that's the first time I met you actually over there, and you were yeah. doing all these. You were like a, a pro doing all these stretches. Like I can't even bend my leg, and this was like, you know, it's like. Oh, you were you were you were showing lads how to do stretches and stuff. I was like, Jesus! If I tried to do that, I get injured more. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it was a great day, John. And uh, I think the, stre- the stretches must have worked. We were world champions, I think, that day. Uh, we, we had a couple yeah. of gold medals between all the Irish masters. That was over. It was a great weekend. Yeah. Uh, a great crack. Um, and yeah. but you but you got over it, John. Anyway, or was it hard to get over that? Did you just get the head down, get the rehab in? Yeah, I got, got, got the operation. So I woke up and and then the guy told me like I thought it, like from you know when you Google stuff that you, you'll be able to come back like but maybe it depends on where the issue is really. And um I woke up anyway and uh, he taught me he took fifty percent of the medial side out. So I didn't know how my leg was gonna be when I started training on it, like and um and thankfully it's kind of now this needed got the the operation that's that's my good knee now like so it's it's hanging in there i don't know how long it's hanging in there that's the reason why i'm kind of trying everything and i'm trying to make the most of it like because um you know i just never know and running um could get injured there and that could be it like so i'm very appreciative of uh, any races i get to do now like that's why i kind of do everything um instead but, of going one yeah, well, well, that's what I was going to get there now, like 2022 and that list of incredible results. And I suppose the, one of the things that I wanted to ask you, John, today was, you know, since, say, that period where you, you got the knee operation, you recovered from it, you know, from 2018 to this great year, you've been building, 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 building all the time. 
Um, could you talk us through maybe, I don't know, what your training philosophy is, if you have one, if you have a coach, what are the key sessions you do, mileage, all that type of stuff that, you know, myself and the listeners might be able to take from you, take a few tips and apply it to our own training, because whatever you've been doing over the last couple of years with that dodgy knee <laughs> included, it, it worked this year. And like, it's a type of year that we'd all dream of having like success on the mountains, success on the roads. Um, what, what were the, the building blocks for it, John, over the last couple of years? I suppose um, getting things wrong. I got, I got a lot of things wrong. Um, I used to go back to the start of the year. I went over to like Gola Dan and um, I was... I was trying a few things in my diet. Um, I lost, I lost probably. I went down to my lowest weight. I went down to, I, I was about sixty nine kilos for the race, and I haven't been sixty nine kilos since I was uh, at uh, my teenage years or my early twenties. And yeah. um, I remember doing the race, and I wasn't, I wasn't strong there. I thought I was going to be better for it, but I wasn't. Um, kind of, kind of took that on board that um, it's probably more important to get to a race strong. And not worry about what the, the scales tell you you are, you know. Um, so definitely with regards to diet, um, I definitely consumed a lot of calories and I didn't worry about um, saving. Um, and I didn't worry about my diet, basically. I just gave up worrying about my diet and just focused on the running. So mm. I, um, I don't have a coach. Um, I work I work 12-hour shifts and I work a five-cycle shift in work, so... I find it very hard to stick to a plan. I don't follow a plan at all. I just I just make it up probably day by day. <laughs> yeah. Um, it depends on what I'm feeling and depending who I meet for a run. Like, and if I meet one of the lads doing road, and I'll just ask them what they're doing. And like, I, I'd often meet lads there that are doing maybe mile sessions, and they could be running four or fifty a mile, and uh, it'd be a bit too hot for me. So I'd probably jump in and do one kilometer with them at that pace. And that way, then I'd. I'd have someone to train with and I get a lot out of it. Like, mm, and, yeah. And um, would you include, say, at least one long run every seven day period, whether it's on the road or the trails? And are we talking an hour and a half or are we talking two and a half hours? Or, or yeah, when, you... when I was, when I wanted to run under 230, I'd always make sure my long ones were going up around the two hour, 30 minute range anyway. And okay. uh, I, might throw, I might throw something fast on at the end if I was doing a road one. If I was going to mountains, I did a lot of mountain sessions this year. I met Enda. Enda was coming down from Dublin. And yeah. when I look back at our training now, we were we were basically racing and training. Like, so we were, we were discussing that yesterday like that. We were definitely, like, if if I went back over my dad, I know we'd probably be in the red zone, like, for an hour. You know, it's, it's way too much, like, and... We were doing a lot of, we'll say, racing in our training, but definitely I'm going to change change some of the things going forward next year with regards to how I apply my road running kind of philosophies, but I try to apply them onto the hills, which is, you know, target the right zones and instead of going out and try to race every session. Yeah, well, I mean, the what you were doing in the mountains, John, it worked because you had this incredible result in Clonmel at the World Masters, where you were the fastest Irish male athlete from all the categories, uh, just under 47 minutes, the only Irish runner under 47 minutes on that course. So whatever you were doing on the hills, it was working so well. And uh, maybe the question on that one is, did you train specifically for the World Masters or did you find that just 
it was just a combination of doing climbing our reps in the road, meeting Edna for those tempo runs in the mountains, um, and just it all just worked out perfectly for you. Um, I, yeah, I think actually what happened was in the if we go back, we'd say three three months before let's say Chicago and two months before um, Clamell. I wanted to run Chicago and obviously I wanted to do well in the mountains. So it was kind of hard to find the balance. So I I was in, you know, if you take a traditional base approach, you take in your hills and you do your endurance stuff. So yeah. I was doing, I wasn't really, I wasn't really classing that as a base pace because I was actually doing a lot of races uh, in my races. And like I said, I was meeting in there for a lot of hard sessions. So I, I went, I did a lot of hills for, let's we'll say the base phase. And, um, what happened then is when I went, I went on holidays to Poland for four weeks um, with herself and um, there was no hills. I mean, it's the flattest, where where I uh, live over there, it's like the flattest, flattest place you can find. There's, there's no hills whatsoever. And I actually did no hill running. Um, I just focused on the road stuff there, um, threshold and kilometre repeats and 800 repeats. And um, I think that's probably why you're in good on the hills because I didn't overdo it then because I didn't have any hills to train on over there I probably would have tried to overcompensate and um, train too hard on the hills so I, I think I actually ended up training myself will say better because I was training I was using my heart rate and I was training training myself and getting myself ready uh, regardless of what kind of race was coming up so I think I went into the mountain race then as, um, as fit as I could be you know, and uh, I think it's good to me anyway, like. Well, it's funny, John, because you might have heard Zach a couple of weeks ago just after the World Championships and the great result that he had there. Zach was saying that he did no sessions on the hills this year at all. Sure, lots of easy runs, recovery runs, long runs, but all his interval work and his tempo runs were on the flat, very similar to yourself. And Zach had his best result ever in the World Championships. And you were the first Irish man home in the Worlds in Clonmel. So it's just another example of to get fast on the hills, you maybe need to be fast on the flat first. Yeah, I, I think looking back over my own training now, because like we all have this, we all have data, we all have Strava and um, Garmin Connect. And we, you know, you have so much uh, information there that you can go back over and make yourself um, a better runner. Like you can look where you got it right and uh, see what the kind of training pattern was going into it. Like, and that's something I, I did for Chicago. And I look back over my old races and I, I looked like I was doing too much. Um, and I was going into red with, say, if you, you go by my watch, I was, I was just training too hard. And I was saying on the hills, I was um, like racing every session, like trying to, um, you know, like, I was saying yesterday to Enda, like if if you're doing that, you, you you don't really give yourself anywhere to go once the train is done because you just already have to push yourself to the max. Like, but if you can if you can train the right zones, it's hard to do on the hills though. I haven't mastered that, but if you can train in the right zones, you'll definitely have a platform to go further, you know, and um, peak. Yeah. With it's sometimes hard, isn't it, when you're doing say one k reps, say you know six by one k or eight by one k. It's hard to stay underneath that anaerobic threshold, isn't it? Because you want to be getting to 5K pace or 10K pace. And you can maybe sustain that type of interval work for, what, four or five weeks. But if you're doing seven or eight weeks of that zone four, zone five, VO2 max type work, it just leaves you very fatigued, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, yeah. And you don't realise it till I suppose, you go into the race and you're probably wandering in, like, 
you're thinking I train so hard, but I haven't really performed much better than my training. Like, you know, okay. nearly... yeah, yeah. So you're kind of nearly racing, getting the same results in races as you were yeah. racing against Edna, for example. Yeah. I, I was like, I know by my effort like that, I was like pushing really hard. Like, and you know, like I said, when you go back over the data after and you see your heart rate was in the red, like for 30 minutes, maybe twice. Like if you did two reps on the hill, you know, and, um, that that's fine doing it when it matters, like I suppose in the race, you know. I think going forward, like definitely gonna try and um try keep the real hard ones for the important uh, the important days. Like I think that's yeah. definitely definitely something sure. that to me in Chicago when I went there as well. Like um I, I felt very strong. I did my fastest 10K like in the last 10K line. That that's the first time I ever finished that strong in the race, you know. Oh, you did your fastest 10K um a 10k pb in the chicago marathon in the, over no, the last 10k just just in terms of the in the race like you know marathon, like, oh, okay, marathon yeah, yeah. In, within that 10k split yeah because it, it was 226 wasn't it a superb 226, yeah, 226 and yeah. And, yeah and just after clonmel so what was that transition like john from the the masters in clonmel to chicago because i'm sure it's something that a lot of the listeners do they have their mountain season and then they might go for maybe dublin marathon a couple of weeks after their summer mountain season so you came off the mountains and then did you just do all flat work then to get ready for chicago and obviously feeling so strong from a couple of weeks in the mountains beforehand yeah i think when you when you get a small bit of success it gives you a bit of confidence and it kind of takes off a bit of pressure as well because you're not going in didn't thinking I have to do well here because I didn't I did bad there you know and uh, when you after Clamell I was I was I was kind of happy like and definitely took a lot of pressure off and then like I said I could focus on my training didn't I didn't have to try overtrain like if I had a bad result in Clamell I might have been thinking that I wasn't trained enough to run a fast time in Chicago so I might have tried to push myself too hard. So it, it actually gave me confidence just to, you know, like Camel was mountain runs are hard. Like now I just need to run flat on flat road and yeah. it's a lot easier. Um, mentally, it's a lot easier as well, like, because you can stay and cruise on at a certain pace. Like it, it definitely, that's that's the good thing about the hills. Like you get that mental benefit of pushing yourself when your body is telling you stop. Like, and you don't really feel that in a marathon till near the end of it. Like, but you, you get to taste in, in mountain races all the time. Yeah. And what do you think, John, helped keep you injury free for the last 12 months? Because like, if you look through the set of results, you know, wins on the road in 10Ks in Bilboa, AC10K, over in Magaluf, 10K, a couple of wins in Poland. Um, you had a, the Limerick Marathon in the first half of the year as well, at 2.32 and first Munsterman home, fourth overall, then the World Masters Mountain Running Championships. Um, it goes on and on. And then the, the British and Irish cross-country masters just a couple of weeks ago in Dublin as well and you've got through it all um, w- w- apart from the training that we've just spoken about um, is there anything you're doing to, to keep the injuries away or is it just actually maybe just combining the mountains and the roads that's just helping you mix it up you know no stride is the same no day is the same and that's helping to keep you healthy I think so yeah because if you look at what I don't do I don't like I, I do zero stretching. I mean, like my, my stretching would probably be something I'd probably do in the soccer before a match, like is like something, you know, you lift the leg up at the back and stuff. I do I don't do I do absolutely no stretching. 
I don't do any core. I don't do anything at all like that. And uh, that's something I want to do, but I'm kind of limited with my time in work and stuff. If I have to go, because I, I usually train on my lunch break. So I'm going out running 10 Ks on my break. I have 45 minutes and um, mm. I have to maximize my time there. I don't have, and then I'm back in on the floor. I'm in a, a full clean room suit. I don't have time to do anything else. Like, and I'm yeah. like, you know, 12 hours is a long time in the day. So I've kind of gotten used to training without stretching and sometimes I just come out the door uh, I'll swipe out I'm out and I, I, I press the watch and I'm gone off and I'm, I'm running 5.30 pace tempo you know no warm up or nothing and I think my muscles have got resilient from that and that's probably why I think and you know the, definitely the conditioning from the hills because it's not from stretching anyway the hills definitely play a part in it because uh, with regards to if you, if you look at traditional training plans you have like do some bounding and strides and stuff, but um, the hills cover all that. Right? So I don't bother with any of that stuff. I just yeah. I, I use the hills to, I use the hills as my gym, like basically, and um, then I, I I mix it up with the road stuff. If I'm feeling like if I had a a tight hamstring or something that would stop me from running fast, let's say eight hundred or one k rep, I would just um go up and do do the same session on the mountains, like where I wouldn't have to stretch my um quad or hamstring. That too far you know and I get the same workout aerobically like so that's that's something I do like I, I kind of just I do my training specific to what I think I can do if I think I, I'm my legs are feeling fresh I can run fast I'll do I'll do something fast on the road and um, I'll mix it up then if I have to you know yeah I, I tell you I think that might be actually a bit of gold that you said there and it's something that you really don't hear um, you know coaches say or whatever that if, if you're planning to do something fast on the road, but you have a bit of a niggle, maybe you could do the same type of intensity interval session on hills where, as you said, you're not going to use your hamstrings or your calves to the same extent, but you can still get the same power output that you would have been doing in the flat, but doing on the mountains instead and get the heart rate right up, but you're protecting your legs to, to a certain extent. So a, a great alternative to anybody who has a bit of a niggle, who wanted to do six by one K on the roads, do six by three minutes on the on the hills instead. Yeah, definitely because some like some days I wake up and you know like people people look at us runners and they think we're super fit and we're fast. But when I wake up most mornings, I feel like an old man. You know, I'm, I'm I've aches yeah. and pains everywhere. Like, but I know yeah. like as soon as I go out and do a session, that I I it just I start to open up my body, just starts to open up naturally. Like, and um, definitely like I said, if I did have niggles. Yeah, some days I feel like I can barely walk like and I just go up around the hills and I'm running up Keeper Hill or something like and you know you have four or five miles up to the summit and it's all up and um you're not you're not overstretching or anything like that and you're 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 getting the, the workout done like so it's definitely it is definitely a good thing to do for people who who are getting worried like that they can't run fast kilometers on the track or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, we mentioned all all those great races, John, this year. Um, what was your 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 hardest race of all those races? And then, is there a difference between then what was your most enjoyable race? Are they the same one, or are they two different races? Oh well, I suppose this year definitely in Goladan. Um, I wasn't I wasn't ready for the course at all, and. Um, I, I, like I said, I went into it a bit weak and uh, just totally just, I just, I'd pick myself up, up off the ground two or three times. Like my legs were just cramped up and I couldn't even walk some, some stage of dress. Like I just had to throw myself on the ground to try straighten my legs out. 
I everything just seized up on me and I don't know what it was like um just just couldn't figure it out like and that that was definitely the worst race as in I went over like you know you had you had people there like Laura Flynn and stuff helping out and um the them uh, like putting on all these things to you so you want to perform like for all those people who are you know are, are making it making it easy for you like to run and then when you go over and you don't run like um I was very disappointed after that like and that's definitely probably um something that's always in the back of my head like in terms of um bad races like um oh I I I, I kind of made up for it as the year went on like because it was more determined like but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That, was my, that was my worst race, and I think I think Chicago, Chicago, I think was definitely my best race, um, because everything went right for me, and um, I I I never to be honest, I never thought I'd be able to run two twenty six, and um, I was kind of vlogging about it, like saying I'd go under two thirty, and that's what my training was for, and then I got to twenty miles, and like I said, I had all that strength build up and stuff. And um, I just started going faster, like, and put the foot down. Usually at that stage, like, I'm, I'm holding on, you know, but I got it right there, and uh, I was, it was, uh, it was perfect for me, like. And yeah, uh, and how was the trip over, John? Because I know when I'm kind of thinking about maybe running the marathon next year, I'm thinking, oh, will I bring the kids over, or if I bring the whole family over, will that affect the performance? Will jet lag affect the performance, especially when there's so much on the line? in a marathon you know that's why it's so easy just to, to run in dublin for example or to maybe just to go across to london or to berlin and um, were you affected at all by the trip over to chicago obviously not because you got the you got the dream result yeah like I, to be honest when i went over I went over a couple of days before it and um you know because we're our bodies are maybe six or seven hours ahead from the time zone and um when you get over there you're still up like you're going to bed maybe 10 o'clock but in your body is like six or seven o'clock in the morning so you actually the good thing about going over is you can sleep good and you will sleep good and um like for chicago you'll have to get up four o'clock in the morning if you want to have your breakfast three hours before the race because the race goes off at seven or seven thirty which is so, fine if you're on irish time <laughs> yeah so okay. it, that's the only positive but um i don't know I, I never seem to find the right food in america and i i when it comes to me for eating i just need like i just Playing noodles and playing rice and porridge, they're the only things I eat for a rest, like a big rest. <laughs> and it was hard enough to find things like that over there. And thankfully, we had a microwave in the hotel, like, so I, I, I picked up some noodles and, um, you know, just plain simple food. It cost me about two euro, and that's all I need, like, and that's all yet the day before the rest is um, carbo loaded, work the trees. Loaded, yeah. And um, like the day before the rest, there was a 5k on, and I only signed up for it, like, um, I thought I was going to just jog around and um, cause, uh, like I didn't know what time I was going for when I registered for it in Chicago. But when I wanted to kind of run a fast time, then I said, I'll just use this 5k as a shakeout before. And uh, I ended up getting talking to Galen up before the race. All right. He was just up at the front of the race. He was like an ambassador. I was chatting away to him anyway. And Abdi, Abdi Ram and a couple of these Olympians like, and um I was like, I was kind of, I was buzzing after that then. So I went off on the race then. And I went off with Abdi, Abdi Ram and he was doing 5.30 a mile. Like, so I was, I was running just, just a little bit faster than Martin Pace, like in, in uh, what was supposed to be a shakeout run. 
So after about 800 meters in, I said, all right, I better, better hold on here because I got a, a marathon to run tomorrow. And then yeah, Gail, yeah. Then Gail and Rupp came up next to me again. He started asking me where I was from in Ireland and stuff. And I, just, I was just chatting away for them, then for the 5K, and I ended up doing it in at Martin Pass. Like, so I ended up doing it at um, 5.35 a mile. And um, I was thinking, oh, hope that's not going to affect me tomorrow. Yeah, and, uh, but you know what? It took all the pressure off me. Um, after you know having a day like that, meeting meeting these kind of uh, icons, running icons, took took all the pressure off me for the race the next day. And um, I think that was that definitely helped me. Like I say, just so you were so happy, so relaxed. The endorphins were flying. Yeah, set you up and um, perfect. And and speaking of running celebrities, John, you, you've become a, a bit of a YouTube running celebrity yourself. <laughs> you've got your YouTube channel. Um, how's that going? And I'm fascinated with it because you know it's getting you know a couple of hundred uh, views at least per video. And then I saw for the Chicago Marathon, you, you had a massive spike up to about four and a half thousand views. And what I was going to ask you was just what made you do the, the the diary and have have you found that it's helped you with your training or can something like that where there's a bit of pressure to produce a video to edit a video and get a video out does it add pressure in any way yeah like when i first started doing it i had an idea of just doing trails um around where I was living and stuff and maybe take it on me with trail races because you, like you, you see the Google Maps, you can see everywhere, but you can't see up in the mountains or on these trails. So I said, I get the GoPro, but I'd say I had the GoPro a week and then COVID kicked in and lockdowns kicked in and everything. So <laughs> I got a bad start to it and um, I had to kind of put it off for a while like, and we didn't even get to race that much. So I, I was just kind of taking my local trails and stuff but like I said, the plan was to kind of strap it up to me and do a few races. Like, because I think um, it's good for people who are doing the race down the line to see what's what's going to be ahead of them. Like, yeah. and, um, that, that was the whole plan of doing it. And last year I ran, when I ran 2.29, like I always wanted to break 2.30. So I did it in London last year. And I found him, my motivation was kind of going. So I said, you know what, if I start vlogging about it, I have to, I'll have to focus on it and do it, you know. <laughs> And that was the only reason. But I started vlogging maybe 15 weeks out. And I remember getting to about um, uh, about 10 weeks to go after the mountain. I was saying, this is tough work. Like, this is a lot of work. Like, you know, and, and um, I was doing a bit of college at the time as well. Like, it definitely, it definitely, it definitely held me back a small bit. Like, uh, because <laughs> I was falling behind on assignments and stuff because I have to edit videos and stuff. Yeah, it, yeah. it can be positive and negative. If you have the time, I think it's it's good. But if you're if you're doing other things, like it, it, it takes a lot more time than you think, you know, to, to put yeah. something together. Um, especially my GoPro, it can be finicky sometimes, and I end up losing loads of footage, or <laughs> it just doesn't handle the, the 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 quality very much. Like it's it takes a long time to process the video. But um, I think I'll probably do it again next year. Like um. It's uh, it's I like doing it, you know. I like doing it, and it gives people. I suppose it gives my family a chance to see where I'm going and what I'm doing, like because, like, if you think of any runner like yourself and anyone else, like we're running probably every day, and people who wouldn't run, they wouldn't have a clue what kind of what we're doing. Like, even though we're amateurs, we'll say we're still probably training as hard as anyone else. Like, and, yeah, uh, yeah. I think I think I just want to give people an, an idea of what what runners actually do, you know, and. 
or yeah. thinking like Oh, they're, they're, they're great fun. They're, they really are really enjoyable to watch, John. And, and you mentioned 2023. Um, what's the, what are the big ambitions, John, for next year? Is it to, to get to the last, I think, marathon major on your list, Tokyo? Is it to yeah. keep on chipping away at that marathon time? To maybe to make an Irish senior mountain running team for the world champs yeah. in Austria, I think. Um, I'm, sure you're, I'm sure you're thinking big. Uh, again for next year w- why not after such a great 2022 I don't know I don't know if I can tough this year to be honest <laughs> I, I can't even think about it um, but I can, I think I came into last year like that as well it would tire you out thinking about it John trying to do it all again would it I would yeah like like, I'm, like I said I'm very appreciative of anything I achieve in it like um, um, if, if I get to Test uh, another cap, I'll be delighted. Like, and I'll definitely try and I'll work hard towards it. Um, I signed up for Boston, I have an entry for Boston. I won't be doing wow. Tokyo till 2024 because um, I, I never signed up this year. I looked at the price of the flights for eight or 900 euro, and um, my family want to go with me and my kids and stuff. So yeah. I said, I'm not going to do it this year, like, because of what was going on. But I signed up for Boston. And um, I know it's on, it's on, it's, it'll probably be on a close time to the, the trial. So we're well, going to have to see um, what kind of dates come out like because um, Boston's on mid-April and um, I'll train for that. And if the trial was on either side of it, you know, decisions will have to be made, I suppose. But either way, the fact that Boston's hilly, um, mounted running is going to stand to me doing that anyway. So um, I'll start off, uh, off 2023 uh, um, in the mount- with my mountain legs on, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and a bit of cross country, maybe John. Would you do the masters cross country um, in February? I think it is. I probably will. Look, my my racing is usually based on my shift schedule. I work so in in my five cycle shift. I work two weekends, so I'll be doing day. I'll do nights, and then I'll do days. So the first two weekends of my five cycle shift are first two weekends are gone, and then um, the third weekend I'm coming off nights in the midweek. So I'm kind of. I'm kind of tired when I get into that weekend. Like, even though I'm, it's considered an off weekend, I'm still tired. Like, and so I've only two weekends. And sometimes I might get lucky. A race might fall on the, on my off parts. Like when I can have a chance to get my sleep because I'm usually catching up on sleep. Like, and if the race falls on, if the, if the masters or uh, cross country race is on in the time I'm off, I'll do it. Like I I generally don't book off days to do races because. I'd have to book off two nights, like, and because it's 12 hours, I'd have to use 24 hours holidays just to do one race. And then chances are I'd have to go to work that night as well. So my, my schedule is really, um, it's really based around um, my work schedule, really. And hopefully- and it's a fireman, John, is it, that you are? No, I just do, I do that in work. Um, we're, we're an emergency response team in work, like, so we, we do that training every couple of months, like, just to get refreshed, like, you know. Okay, because I, I think, think I saw a photograph of you somewhere with some type of a fireman uniform on or something. Maybe that's where I got the idea from. Uh, no, we're, like, we're, I'm working in analog devices. They're, they're making uh, semiconductors. Um, okay. With microchips and stuff, and just kind of working there in the process, and, and um, like I said, long days, and I do a lot of my training around work in the industrial state. Like you know, sometimes you're running four in the morning, like and um, wow, uh, it's just uh, I just why I don't get I don't get to rest too much. Like I probably rest a lot more if I had a nine to five job, you know. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, John, whatever you've been doing for the last couple of years, it worked a treat for you this year. And uh, myself, and I'm sure everybody that knows you, is looking forward to seeing what you can do in 2023. And with a bit of luck, John, sure, we might line up maybe beside each other, either in the Masters Cross Country or if not a trial race for the Irish team next year and, and bring the bring the camera with you and she will try and do a decent YouTube video or something. I definitely will, yeah, no problem. We might, I might even get a get a few stretching tips off yourself. <laughs> I tell you, I needed them back in 2017. I was a bit broken <laughs> back then, but thankfully I don't need to do them as much anymore. John, it was an absolute pleasure to talk to you, mate, and it's an all the very best in 2023. Hopefully see lots more race wins and, and keep on chipping away at the marathon time. I will indeed. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me on. All the best, John. Well, that's a wrap for this week, everybody. A big thank you to Rene and John for some great running chat this week. I really enjoyed it. And hopefully you guys did too. A nice break for me anyway from changing nappies and the likes here with, with four little people in the house now. Busy, busy, but thankfully still getting out for my runs, with it, which helps keep me sane indeed. Good luck again to all of the new Imrec committee. And as mentioned at the top of the show, they need volunteers for all their great races over the year. So do give it some consideration if you think you might be able to get out to any of the races and I guarantee you you'll have a great time out in the mountains with some great great people have a great week's training everybody Christmas is coming and just a reminder to pop over to Patreon to help to support the Trail Running Ireland podcast if you can everybody get your running gear on let's go